Welcome to the Globe Trotten ADs. This podcast is for you, athletic directors, activity coordinators, coaches, and program associates based in international schools around the world. The Globe Trotten ADs is proudly hosted by Nick DeForest from the American International School Vienna and Matt Fleming from the American International School of Budapest. Here they are now, Nick and Matt and the Globe Trotten ADs. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Globe Trotten ADs. We're on season four. This is our eighth episode of the season so far. We've made it that far. We're almost to the Christmas holiday break, Nick, and uh, it'll be time for a relaxation soon. Uh, and of course, getting ready to head to our conference in Nashville. But before we do, we do have one more episode that we're going to have a pretty cool topic today. Our guest today is Dr. Emily Meadows. Uh, Dr. Meadows is a consultant for international schools and developing LGBTQ plus policies. Uh, she's done extensive work with a lot of schools, and we're going to try to learn a little more about how we can help develop policies for our sports organizations and what the best path forward could be um, and learn about this, this issue. So it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to learn a lot today. Uh, but before we learn from Dr. Meadows, I'm going to throw it over to Nick in Vienna and say, hey, how are you yes. doing, Nick? Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Yes, thanks for the intro. Really excited to have a really good um, discussion today and topic that's really you know, on the top of people's minds. Some people are uh, dealing with these kind of things all the time and some uh, really don't know where to start. So we hope we can help out. And, and Emily, thanks for joining us. You've, uh, you've done stuff with a lot of schools around the world. It's great. You know, big organizations like CISA and ECIS, which our schools are, are involved in. Um, you've been to my school and you're going to go to Matt's school too. So um, thanks for taking the time to be here with us tonight. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and for highlighting this important topic. Awesome. Well, uh, before we get into all of our questions, uh, things on the top of our mind, um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit uh, to the audience and maybe a little bit of your why? Yeah, sure. So um, thanks, Matt, for the intro. Um, as Matt said, I'm an LGBTQ consultant for international schools. I'll also just note that I use she, her pronouns. And um, I come at this work with a few different sort of lenses, I guess I would say, um, that tie into my background and sort of who I am and what I bring to this work. So the first is that I actually worked for many years as a school counselor before going into private practice. And so um, I still bring that counseling lens whenever I'm thinking about building safer schools, more equitable schools for LGBTQ people. So I was most recently actually at Hong Kong International School, but now I'm based in the Netherlands and I'm just full-time um, consulting. So that's one aspect of kind of my background and my approach to this work. Um, another lens that I use is connected with the work that I do at the George Washington University. So mm -hmm. we have a graduate program um, at, at the university on LGBT health policy and practice. So uh, in that program, we're working more with um, medical professionals and some mental health clinicians, policymakers, really the idea being to develop uh, better healthcare systems and clinics for LGBTQ patients. So that keeps me with a foot in academia mm -hmm. and also um, helps me uh, bring sort of that health 
a health lens and focus to the work that I do in schools. Um, the other two pieces about me that really um, color my work are that I grew up in international schools and really my whole career has been in international schools. So um, I did my doctoral work in international schools, really every, every aspect of what I do has had that focus. So I do a very specific niche um, type of consulting and a very specific niche kind of context. Um, so that that is a bit about me. And then the last piece is that I myself am queer. Um, I'm bi. I use both of those terms to talk about my identity. So um, that's a piece that I bring as, as a person. But I'm always really clear to say that, um, you know, it's not about me. It's not about my opinion. It's not about my personal experience. It's really about uh, looking at what we know is best for kids and translating that research into practice within our international school communities. So that's a little bit about me and my my why, I think. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So so like us, you have a niche group you work with and like we're working with international school ADs quite a, quite a lot. And um, this this topic, it's been for us, as uh, in terms of developing handbooks and and policies and addressing the issue, it's I would say a fairly newer um, issue that we've been. It's come up, and I would say uh, overall the concept of working with it from uh, ads and activity coordinators in the in the leagues we're associated with it has been very open minded. And again, it's the focus of doing what's best for kids and families so that, that, you know, they can make them feel comfortable and, and, and provide an opportunity for them that is, is the best way forward. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, and I think, you know, you've, Emily, you've worked with, um, or you looked at least the ISST policy, I know a year or two ago, and, um, that's one of the conferences that has, has put something out there, although we don't seem to be dealing with the students or having students that we need to, let's say, apply the policy for yet. Um, so I just kind of want to start with asking how prevalent are these types of students in international schools right now? It's interesting that you say that, actually, because I think some of the schools that are reluctant to adopt inclusion policies for trans athletes have this fear that suddenly there'll be, you know, 20 trans athletes banging down the doors, collecting all the medals and trophies. And um, the reality is that's just not the case. There's plenty of schools um, outside of the international school setting more, like as you say, with international schools, this is fairly new, but there are other places where um, trans kids have been competing for a really long time. And the vast, vast majority of athletes, and certainly the vast majority of trophy holders are cisgender, CIS gender students. Um, so this is a type of policy that's designed to support and provide access for a pretty small number of kids. Mm -hmm. That being said, the students that we are hoping to um, include with these types of policies are some of, unfortunately, the most vulnerable students in schools. So we know that there's a pretty high um, discrepancy between some of the really serious outcomes uh, mental health outcomes and academic related outcomes for trans children compared to their cisgender peers. Mm -hmm. And we also know that when mm -hmm. we create opportunities for these children to participate in school-based athletics, 
um, it reduces that risk for them. So even though it's only a few kids in a lot of cases, um, it can really be impactful for them in such a positive way. So it is worth worth doing, I think, for that reason alone. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's what we're we're in the business of, of helping young, young uh, students, you know, not just en masse, but each individual one. Right. So, yeah, very, very important, as you say. Uh, a lot of people that that uh, we talk to or that don't have a policy or schools that, wow, you guys have that. Like, we don't even know where to start. Like, it seems so huge. Is, is there some things that you found that people just are worried about that they shouldn't worry about? I mean, you mentioned obviously the that there's going to be a mass of students that all want to participate being one, but thinking policy-wise or language. Yeah, I, I think there are sort of two answers to that question. So one of them is when people say it's so huge, um, I think they think they need to sort of start from scratch and build up a policy from their own expertise, which most people will be quick to admit they don't have that expertise. They weren't trained in this at all. And so that does feel huge. Um, also, I think a lot of folks in athletic director roles are used to directing athletics, not necessarily used to writing policy. So it, even just the, the idea of creating a policy, even if it's something they know a lot about, policy writing isn't always a big part of the job description. So I can offer in response to that, um, I actually have a policy template that I can just hand to your listeners. It's a more broad policy. So it's not specific only to athletics and sports, but um, it has a section in there which does address specifically um, transgender inclusion for sports. And so if people are, are maybe wanting to get started, but not quite sure what to write when you put pen to paper, yeah. um, this would be a, a great, just an opening point. Yeah. Um, so I can share that with you. Maybe if you, do you have show notes that you could pop yeah. it into? Ab absolutely. Okay. That'd be fantastic. Right. Okay. I'll share that with you. And then the other thing you said, though, which I think is a, a little bit distinct from the question about how to do it is some of the fears that come along with it. So whether it's we're going to, you know, all of our children are going to be giving up their trophies, um, which I, I just on the face of it is is um, we can quite clearly see is not happening. But um, I think there are others. One of one of the other fears that gets brought up to me a lot is um, around safety. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a couple of different safety aspects that people are worried about. And I think understandably, you know, our first job when we are working with children is to make sure they're safe. Like we sort of can't do anything else until we know they're safe. And so that is understandable. And I want to reassure people a couple of things. So the first is that when it comes to changing rooms and dressing rooms, which is sometimes a safety concern people are worried about, um, we have great research now that shows us actually the most vulnerable person in a changing room or a bathroom is the is going to be your trans student. Um, so if our primary concern is safety, then we need to make sure that transgender children have access to safe spaces to go to the bathroom and to change their clothes. And so for many trans kids, that's going to be the facilities that align with their gender identity. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, children will feel safer in a space 
that is that they've been using um, that aligns with their gender assigned at birth. And sometimes kids will simply want a more private space, maybe a neutral gender neutral changing space. In a policy, what we would do is recommend that the child has access to the space that is safest for them and they get to be part of making that decision. So it's not up to a grown up and nobody's kind of sequestering them and saying you have to you know, run to the other end of campus to change in this isolated room, but rather the child says, here's how I feel safe. And we provide that access for them. Knowing yeah. that the most likely uh, form of harassment is going to be anti-trans harassment there's no documented cases of trans kids attacking cisgender children in the locker room. And I can assure you that if that was happening, um, I'm not going to name news networks, but there are plenty of news networks that would pick that up in a heartbeat and make sure that we all heard about it. So we can be pretty clear that it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the important thing is to, you know, what are, what are we doing as institutions and organizations to help put folks at ease Right. And, and making it so that it's an environment where people do feel safe or do, do feel like they can be themselves. So other than, for example, the change space, and that's a huge issue, of course, that schools are working through. Um, what else can uh, folks do to help or what, what else can you do to help organizations put help put folks at ease concerning the these issues that, in international schools? Um, so the other safety issue that I hear a lot about is um, a concern that there will be an extraordinarily large transgender athlete who wants to participate in a high contact sport such as rugby. Um, this has not actually ever happened that I know of, but it is a fear and certainly we want to prevent um, accidents. We want to prevent harm coming to any of our children. So it's something that people are wondering about, I guess, hypothetically or preventively. What I say to that is <clears throat> that we need to think about our playing spaces. If a child who is larger than average playing a particular sport is really a safety risk, then we have to rethink, A, is that a sport that's appropriate for this age level? B, is there something that we need to be teaching children about how to use their bodies and these tools or these athletic materials to ensure that we... Um, prevent harm. And um, because there are going to be kids of all genders with lots of different body shapes and sizes. And I, I really think that we can't start drawing a line and saying, right, if you weigh above X number of kilograms or pounds, you're too heavy to play this particular girl's sport. That seems really damaging to me and not in line with, I think, the, the majority of what athletic directors are trying to do with their programs. So if a large person playing the sport is a safety hazard, I'd suggest that something inherently um, problematic with the sport or the way that the sport is being played, not something wrong with the child. Yeah, that's true. As you were explaining that, I was thinking back to coaching middle school boys basketball and had a great team of tiny little sixth graders that were fantastic uh, ball handlers and then playing against a school of you know these oversized eighth graders um, and we just you know that that's totally fine right I mean that's just basketball middle school that's the how the kids are that's <laughs> all in in one gender right so well and I think it's it, it's the responsibility then of the coaches to to kind of think through well what are the risks here and how can we prevent them not to say well you are too small you therefore can't play or you're too big right. but rather what do we what adjustments do we need to make sure that, so that every child can play 
And that parallels with some courses Nick and I have taken with the association of the United States uh, that deals with player safety. And there's like um, a, it's called the coach's list of legal duties, right? And in the States, it's different because it's, it's, um, it has to do with basically covering your butt so you don't get sued or having right. school sued. But there's a lot of parallels that can be made in international schools. We don't have those types of issues, but the common sense approach to matching up kids and using equipment safely, I think that can be applied to these types of situations as well. Certainly, even if we're not doing it to avoid legislation, yeah. um, we can, or sorry, litigation, uh, we can do it because we care about kids' safety. Yeah. Cookery are a global multi-sport clothing brand specializing in providing the world's most prestigious schools with bespoke made and designed team uniforms for students of all standards and abilities. If you are frustrated by inconsistent colors, branding, costs, and sizing across your school's uniforms, then it's time to discuss an offering where every sport is available from softball to soccer for male and female athletes at rates to suit your budget. To find out how Cookery could elevate the apparel of your student athletes to a professional level, email the team at contact at cookerysports.com. A dedicated sales manager will offer you a quote today. Mention this ad and receive a special offer on your coach or PE staff order. Well, let me ask specifically about our, our DVAC um, conference. It's a local conference. Uh, that our schools are in and it, it goes from about Salzburg to Budapest and we only ever compete on Saturdays um, no overnight stays hotels or, or otherwise um, and we have lots of little schools and big schools so like our school is down to 300 kids in a whole school and we we want to include a, a policy that shows that we you know want to include all students whoever wants to play can play basically um, but the conference is pretty relaxed I would say because there's no lock big travel, no overnights. Um, so a lot of us are wondering how detailed of a policy do we need um, when nothing else really in the in the conference is really detailed? Um, mm -hmm. Or could it just be like a blanket statement that says we welcome anyone who wants to participate? That's a great question. And I think that, that that's a question that can apply to all different sizes and types of conferences. Mm -hmm. um, so I make a distinction between policy and practice or protocol. Mm -hmm. So the policy actually should be more broad. Um, the policy is not going to lay out, you know, here is the available bathroom and you can, you know, change your clothes here. It's going to be more of a broad statement that says, um, I would, I would go a slightly more, I would go slightly beyond that everyone can play mm -hmm. um, to really specifically say, that we protect the rights of children to play on the team that aligns with their gender identity. Um, because historically everyone can play, didn't necessarily mean everyone could play. Right. It sounds nice and I hear the spirit behind it. We wanna make sure that someone who doesn't know you personally um, would also be able to read that and know what, what you meant exactly. Um, so I would go a little beyond that, but it can stay quite broad. Um, and just making sure that the, the rights are laid out. But then in addition, you would also want a separate document, which is usually not external facing. It's more of an internal document and it can be internal to the conference. 
but it's more of the protocols or the the practice for your um ad's and your coaches to say right um what do we need to take into consideration are there any communications that we need to do in advance in your case you're not worrying about um overnight and and rooming and things like that so that wouldn't need to be in there um but you might be crossing borders there might be passports exchanged there might be just some privacy issues that need to be thought out in advance and so that would go more into the the practice side of things and the advanced considerations um but the policy can stay pretty broad. And I would say that's that's the case for any conference. It can stay okay. pretty broad. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because again, a lot for a lot of folks, this is new material or it, it could be as we mentioned earlier, it could be a little daunting to take on the issue. But I think if you mm -hmm. at least you start somewhere and you recognize that this is going to be a part, it's a part of our future, of course, I think. Uh, it's, 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 and it's, it's something we're, we're, it's going it, to, eventually it's going to make everything better because that's what we want to do for kids. Well, and Matt, you say that this is daunting and you're talking to an audience of professionals who um, organize athletic conferences for a living. So you can imagine how daunting it feels for a transgender child who's trying to navigate just playing on a sports team and they're, you know, a kid. And so it is, I think, the responsibility of us as professional educators to say, yeah, it is daunting and we need to be the ones to, to pave the way so that it's not a child having to do it for us. Sure. Absolutely. Have you run into, so, sorry, Matt, a little off book, but I just think as we talk, you know, our two countries, Hungary and, and Austria are quite different in a lot of um, legalities uh, issues. Um, this being one of them, do you run into that? Like countries saying, how do we have this, but not make it open because we, you know, officially we're not allowed to? Yes, absolutely. Um, interestingly, there are legalities, but um, when I work with schools, if, if it is a policy matter, I always say, look, I'm not a lawyer. I don't practice law in your country. So you do need to get legal counsel. And you might be surprised how many schools lawyers come back and say, it's fine. Um, I don't, again, I don't practice law, so I'm not going to yeah. try to guess why, but I think it might have to do with the international nature of our campuses. Um, the fact that we are talking about children, so it's pretty low stakes to let a kid play volleyball, you know, and um, and so I've been actually really surprised by some of the places that have just gone forward and published these um, policies and guidelines openly in their handbooks. Um, but if there is really a concern and the lawyer says, you know, this this is going to put the school in um, jeopardy of getting shut down, that's not going to help anyone. And so there can be some things that are done internally um, where it's understood within the school and within the campus um, how students will be supported without necessarily putting that language into the handbook. Yeah. Um, but more and more schools are doing this and more and more conferences are as well. And so I do think that schools that um, are reluctant to support trans uh, athletes right to play mm -hmm. might find it harder and harder in the coming years to actually be part of a conference. Um, they might find that there are fewer and fewer schools who actually want to play with them because um, they've got students that they care about and they want their kids to be able to go to any 
conference. And if you, your particular school is saying not here, then they'll say, okay, we'll go somewhere else. Um, so I do think it's worth looking into sooner than later and to, to kind of ask a little bit from your school's legal counsel, whether this actually might be possible. That's great. Yeah, sure. Along those lines, so what, what do you see as uh, the future for policy development in schools and how do you feel schools are adapting to the topic or what future trends might we um, think might be coming down the road? Well, I wish I could say that this trend that we're talking about now is in the past and we have something else to look forward to in the future, but this is still the future um, for a lot. The, the reality is there's still a lot of schools who are um, just wrapping their heads around it. And so, I mean, the good news is if you're a school who really wants to be cutting edge and you really want to attract um, employees and families and students to your school because you are you know, pushing ahead with inclusion and safety for all kids, you still have room to be in the foreground, in the forefront and one of the leaders. Um, but I think we're still waiting for quite a number of schools to make this more of a critical mass where we can say, right, we are fully on this path and we can start to look ahead to the next thing. Unfortunately, we're still not there yet, but there is more and more movement and there's lots of Lots of cause to to be hopeful um, for the safety of our of our trans kids. Yeah. So, like along those lines, like looking back, like compared to where we were, <laughs> let's say five years ago, and mm -hmm. where we are now, what, what do you think of that? Like, <laughs> Matt, well, has it been exploding or? Oh, when I five years ago, when I would tell people what I do for work, they would just blush and look down at their shoes. Um, now, when I tell people what I do for work, they ask me for my email address immediately and say, I have 25 questions. How soon can we book you at our school? It has changed tremendously. Um, I will give all of the credit to students because it's really been children who have said, hey, I'm here and I think you can do better. Um, and so it is not I, I never want to put the responsibility on children to say, right, you need to educate your teachers now on how to be more inclusive. That is not their job, um, nor is it their job to write policies, but they have been extremely vocal and they know their worth and they have been telling their schools, yeah. you need to do better. And so that's when a lot of times that's when the school will call me and say, yeah, we, we recognize we're not, we need help. Sure. So it's gone quickly and and I hope it continues at the same pace. Yeah. That is a big turnaround in five years. I, I didn't I knew you would say it would it's changed, but the that dramatically is Dram dramatically. It was I mean it's it's a very niche job that I do mm -hmm. just by by the nature of it because it's so specific. Yeah. But I really had a very different client base before. It was pretty specific to schools who had really um uh, they would call me about one particular case and I would consult on a particular case. Now I have schools just saying, look, you need to train our whole faculty. We need an overhaul of all of our policy handbooks. We need this, we need that, because they're just recognizing this is, this is more than one student one time. This is a systemic issue that we can, um, that we can work on from a lot of different angles and make this school feel better for people in, from admission up till graduation. 
And I think it, it does start, it can start really small and to have policies just in paper and handbooks um, are one thing, but to actually let students know that you're there uh, is important too. And I, I like, well, for two years now, I think you shared your You Belong Here posters and many different languages. I think it was about two school years ago now. That's um, a good question. I don't uh, remember when I started designing those, but yeah, it's it, been a little while. It's a while, right? So I've had one up in a while. And I think if you, uh, you mentioned a sharing a, a policy, maybe if you share those again with me, I would put those oh, in the sure, school. Oh, sure, I'd be because... happy. And you know what? So it's the poster for your listeners who don't have a visual. It's just, it's the progress pride flag. Um, with the text in English, you belong here, and then the translation into a variety of different languages. So you can get a poster for sort of whatever language. And since they came out, Nick, if that was two years ago, let's say, um, a lot of people have reached out to me and say, I love your posters and I need one in Latin. I need one in Tagalog. I need one. And so um, the collection just keeps growing because I Very people cool. are so generous with helping the, to do the translations and I'd be happy to share that as well for folks to um, download and print and put those up. That'd be great. I think that's great. Yeah. Just a visual for the students, you know, that maybe you don't it even matters. know who they are in your school, but then they'll. they'll oh, absolutely. Right. No, I used to work at uh, a school in in Kuwait where LGBTQ identities are criminalized, and I had this. I had I had um, not this exact poster. I hadn't designed it yet, but I had a similar poster up. And um, it said, you know, this space does not discriminate based on gender identity, sexual orientation, and it had sort of the pink triangle, which was a little bit, I told you I've been at this a long time. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the pink triangle was a little bit more um, recognizable then. And um, since I left the school, I've had students come up to me who are um, alum yeah. and say, you didn't know this, but anytime I saw that poster on your office door, like I felt so much better. And so it does, you never know who it's going to make a difference for. I had one more question that way, because in the beginning of the program, you had mentioned you'd work through George Washington working with health pro professionals and mm -hmm. how there's a crossover between that profession, of course, and working with schools. So I don't know, it's one, maybe you can share some examples of how that's going or, you know, what are the parallels between the two professions or, or what do you gain out of one that you can use in another? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, what <laughs> it keeps me on my toes because in the academic world, there's always new things coming out. So it does keep me fresh on the research. Um, but I do two different courses there. One of them is um, LGBT youth. So really looking specifically at the developmental stages of LGBTQ children the impacts of the different systems on their um, on their lives. So for example, the school system, family system, peer system. Um, and so looking really at the research, what do we know about um, how these different systems impact a child? Um, and then the other course I teach is LGBT mental health. Um, so that's really ties back again to my counseling background, but it's um, it, it looks at um, things like so negative influences on, on LGBT health, mental health, but also looking at things like resiliency um, factors and ways that um, can different systems and uh, variables that can better a student or a child's health. Sorry, that one's not just for children, but I'm always thinking about young people. <laughs> that one's for people of all ages. Um, 
And so, um, yeah, those are some of the, the overlaps. Uh, and then I, I also, interestingly, I'll, I'll share things about, you know, my work in schools with the people, with, you know, these doctors who don't do anything with schools, but it's interesting for them to hear sort of what's going on in, in the real world, if you will, in, in real kids' lives, um, beyond just, just the academic sphere. So cool. they inform each other. Yeah, because it's about dealing with people and working with folks and making them exactly, better, exactly. So uh, it's interesting. So thank you. For that yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, really, really great uh, conversation, and and uh, thank you for all the resources uh, you've shared in the in the podcast and 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 will and um, if someone yes. out there wants to get in touch with you. I, uh, I use all the ways, actually, I'm not on TikTok. I don't try to find me there. Um, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm too old. Um, and I have my website and then also you feel free to email your listeners, um, to email. It's just my name, emilymeadows at gmail.com. All of those are fine. Um, yeah, Super. if I can help, please let me know. That's great. That's great. Well, you've helped us already. Um, that's for our next <laughs> DVAC conference meeting. So that's a hidden hidden agenda for our conversation today. Uh, for oh, sure. you've said a dangerous word, Nick. Don't ever associate me with hidden agendas. <laughs> I'm very open about my yes. agenda. No. <laughs> I meant ours. I meant what? ours. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I'm teasing. I think we're going to need a two-day meeting, actually. Yeah. I think that's what we need. Because we're, we're Pop it on the official agenda because it will take more than five minutes yeah. so if you make it a hidden item no. it won't get the time it deserves no no definitely not definitely not <laughs> um well we we were having a good time talking about this as well but we like to end with a maybe a bit lighter or a bit a bit of a way to get to know uh the guests but also the city that they're in um mm. so you're in the netherlands uh right now mm -hmm. could you uh what's your one of your favorite things about the netherlands um, favorite place to go, favorite food, something like that, oh, something you can share with us. I love so many things about the Netherlands. I absolutely love living here. I will tell you something that I think might keep me here for the rest of my life. And this is coming from someone who grew up moving all the time and has moved my whole career. But I love, love, love that I can ride my bike anywhere I want to go. I do not have a car. I use my bike pretty much everywhere unless it's far and then I use public transport. And that is a quality of life game changer for me. Um, I will ride my bike in all the weathers and just experience the, the nature of, of the Netherlands year round. And it is really something that I would find hard to leave if I were to ever move again. Yeah. I believe that. But also um, Stroopwafels. <laughs> while you're riding, while you're riding the bike yeah. with a with absolutely a go full Dutchy, yeah. absolutely. Nice, nice. Yeah, go wrong yeah. for sure. And of course, you've been supporting Netherlands in the World Cup, I imagine. Matt, I, I, you are wearing an orange top, which makes me think you might be supporting the Netherlands. Well, they okay. They beat the U from the U.S., so they beat the U.S. That was fine. They they played very well. The U.S. did well too. So I think I'm going to go with the Netherlands the rest of the way. Ooh, okay. Well, you're you think you're talking sports, but you know what? The World Cup, you, the politics is in everything. So you, <laughs> I have not been watching the World Cup, Matt. I have not been watching the World Cup. I will admit, I do know that they won against the U.S. because. 
NPR, of all things, pushed it through to me on my phone and told me as soon as it happened. But um, no, I haven't. I haven't caught. A, I haven't caught a match. You'll hear about it through NPR, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I I really really will. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks very much for joining us today and and sharing on this topic. And I, I think we've offered some great information for folks. It'll be helpful. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person when you come to Budapest uh, yeah. later this, this winter and uh, sharing some more information with our staff and and um, what else we can do to to make this topic better known and, and more comfortable for folks to work through. I look forward to that. And thank you for hosting me and for the warm welcome. Thank you for bringing this important topic to your audience. Um, athletic directors are really important people right now in um, moving forward safety and equity for transgender students. So it's really great to be with you. I'll be sure to send over those resources um, to share out with your audience. And yeah, I, I hope to see more and more um, policies popping up in conferences and schools around in our, in our little communities. Awesome. Great. And thanks for the help and leading the way. Thanks, Paul. Until next week, this has been another episode of the Globe Trotten ADs.